Viva Los Angelitos! This is Fernando with Halos in the Infield. Do you love sunflower seeds as much as I do? Well, you can't say you do until you try Chinook Cedary. Chinook Cedary is truly the top dog in the industry. Here's why. They have so many delicious flavors to choose from. Jalapeno Ranch, Hatch Chili, Cinnamon Toast, Dill Pickle, and my personal favorite, Parmesan Pepper. If you need sunflower seeds when you play sports, or if you travel the country as much as I do and you need a quick and convenient snack on the go, Shunduk Cedary is truly for you. For easy ordering access, check out halosintheinfield.com. Click on the banner, and there you go. Just order the seeds. You can even order a variety pack sent straight to your house or any of those delicious flavors that I just mentioned sent straight to your house. Quick and convenient. Still don't believe me that Chinook Cedary is the best seed out there? Less salt, all the flavor, I promise. I've tried them all and I love them all. Signature roast, no sandpaper tongue. Gluten-free, no MSG ever. Chinook Cedary is truly the top dog in the market and we would know as the top dogs in the podcast universe. Have a great day, everybody. And remember, Chinook Cedary is great. Prendalo and viva Los Angelitos and viva Chinook Cedary. Hey, 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 it's Todd Fox here from Halos in the Infield podcast and I'm here with my other co-host, uh, greetings from Ulysse, Texas. This is Fernando. And we have a special guest today, all the way from... From Chatsworth in the San Fernando Valley. There you go. There you go. It's the one, the only... Mark Coop is out here, fellas. What's going there on, Todd? What's going on, Fernando? How you doing, guys? We're doing great. Nothing to complain about here. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Thank you for coming on. No problem, guys. Just looking forward to talking some baseball and whatever else we want to talk about. Awesome, awesome. If, for those that don't know, which I don't know why you don't, but Mark Gubazar is <laughs> a color commentary for the Angels, and he does a great job. He is, some say, the Tony Romo of our, our, of baseball, but I think he's by himself. I think if other commentators call the way the games that he does, or at least you know brings out those moments, because you see, I'm, I'm telling you, Mark, I, I just want to give you a compliment here. You, you do a Tony Romo in the, in the booth, man. I mean, you call these pitches before they come. You say, hey, this guy, we really need a slider. I think he's going to go with a changeup or something like that. And boom, there it is. You know what I mean? You, ha you have that feel. It's great. Yeah, you know, I think, guys, what it comes down to is just, you know, from all the years playing and sitting in the dugout as a starter, you got those four days in between starts. So I always felt that I, I was pretty good as far as reading, you know, body language. So I could see that, especially at our booth, we're at, at Angel Stadium. I mean, it is the best view, period. I'm telling you, I've been every almost every stadium in baseball. Our view is so good. You could see what the, the batter's trying to do, if he's gripping the bat too much, if he's moved a little closer to the plate, his facial expressions. You see what the pitchers are doing. You see what the fielders are doing. So you, I've always been a big believer. When I first started in this business, this was way back in 2001, when I you know, was still coaching high school baseball and, and trying to get involved in this in this world, and I remember this guy named Scott Ackerman, who used to do head of Fox Sports Net. And then he also ran the whole football pregame show with Howie Long and, and all the guys there. And Terry Bradshaw won a bunch of awards. He said, hey, listen, you got to tell me something that I don't know. I mean, when the game's on TV, it's obvious a guy hit a home run or a guy threw the ball 100 miles an hour. Kind of explain how that happened to you. And I don't, I don't want to ever know or you ever say, 
that's a great swing. Well, what does that mean? He wants to, he wants me. He always said, and he would bring me in. He'd be real critical of me. And I, and I learned a lot from him because I sat back there and was like a sponge. I said, okay, I'll, I'll figure it out why that happened. Because I remember, like I said, I was a player watching all that and kind of incorporated it in the game. Take chances. I may be wrong. And there's, there's times where I'm definitely wrong where I'm thinking he's going to try to hit the ball the other way. And he ends up pulling the baseball, the hitter at the plate. Or I'm thinking, you know, he's going to dive for this ball in the outfield. Instead, he's playing back on it. So there's going to be times where you're, you're not right. But I always felt that as a, if I'm watching a game, because I've been watching, you know, even college basketball that KU won today. I'm watching Duke against Kentucky right now. I'm, I'm kind of thinking along what these players are trying to do. So that way I can give you as a viewer something to look for before the play actually happened. Because it's easy. To, if you want to real, I mean, if you wanted to say, explain something after the play happened, okay, that's fine. But I want I want you to be kind of into it, almost like you're, uh, I always go back to my favorite movie, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And, you know, I mean, watching, you know, the original Indiana Jones where that, that ball is rolling through there and, and the energy you get. I just want you to be ready for when some play happens. I know baseball at times could be a long game, but uh, my whole goal was to make sure when you're sitting there watching it, I want you to enjoy it. I'll never, uh, one thing I will never do guys, I will never complain about the length of a game because it's a, it's a beautiful thing. You get a chance to have a conversation with your friends, your family, but also something may happen during the course of a game that you're going to go back and like stuff that Trout has done, Shohei Otani has done, and Albert Pujols did too. I mean, all these great things that we get to witness on a daily basis watching Angel Baseball. I always want to make sure that I go back and go, wow, that was pretty cool to see it. But I also want now the fans to be able to enjoy that moment and let them feel that moment all the way through. Absolutely. One of my favorite things about baseball has always been just sitting back and watching the world pass me by. You know what I mean? You can sit there for, you know, three hours and just relax. You know, you can take in what's happening. You know, I, I've always enjoyed the analytical side, the mental part of the game. So for that, baseball is the absolute best. Just sit back, enjoy, and really think about the game inside the game. You know, yeah, I mean, it's uncomparable I, to any other sport because of that. And you're exactly right. I think it's a disservice for people to be critical of the analytic part of the game. Cause that's that for me, this is fun. I mean, I played, you know, I'm retired now for quite a while, but I still feel like I'm, I, I can kind of learn so much from the game of baseball. And I, I've said this to a number of people I've talked to who work with fan graphs and all the different baseball savant. And I always say, wow, if I had known some of these things as a pitcher back in the day, I think I might've been a little bit better. So <laughs> I think that stuff is pretty cool. All the things you get to learn, but there's also, you still want to go and, and, and reach and, and have a conversation with somebody that just loves the purity of the game. So combining the both parts of, this, of the game right now, and I think we're seeing more of a, a melt towards the middle instead of going one way or the other way in the game. And I think that's why the game has gotten better. And that's why you see an exciting World Series where you have the Atlanta Braves, a team that everyone said we're done you know, when Acuna Jr., who was arguably one of the greatest players, and by the way, one of my all-time favorite players already as a young player, out for the season, they were done. They made a couple, you know, key acquisitions all at the time. Nobody thought it was key acquisitions as far as their outfield. Boom, they're the world champs. So that's the beauty of the game because baseball, no matter what, if a team is, if a pitcher's hot or, or a guy's swinging the bat well or they're making some plays, I, I've been a big believer because I, I got a World Series ring in 85, with the Royals, were we the best team? No, no, not even close. Toronto was so much more talented. The Cardinals were. We were down three games, one in both series. We came back and won. We were down to the Angels in the division 
all the way through that season, we had to beat the Angels seven of eight games in September to win by one game to get to the playoffs. So you, you run into those things where team chemistry is so important. I know Joe Madden has talked about that a lot. The team didn't win a whole lot last year, not anywhere near where we all expect them to be. Injuries and blah, blah, blah. But there were some really good things about what we saw from the way the team played as far as battling through some key guys. I mean, they got so many guys out last year. Yeah, they battled all the way through. So you kind of hope to bring that all together with all your superstars back in the lineup next year. Yeah, that was the thing that we took out of last season was, you know, Atlanta had a similar first half to us being 500 for most of the time. And like you said, a couple of acquisitions here and there. Um, they got hit with injuries, like you said, but not as hard as we did. Um, and do you think, like, uh, do you think the Angels coming up into this season, obviously the the acquisitions or, or just – they seem like acquisitions, but the pitchers that came to the farm system showed you something in August and September. It, to me, me and Fernando have been talking. There doesn't need to be like the big, huge splashes, just fill in players, maybe, maybe one ace. But I mean, like as far as like the, the need for pitching, it doesn't seem to be as uh, like, like the need that we all thought it was because I don't know if you felt the same way, but the bullpen was coming together really nicely towards the end of the season. And the starting pitching was giving you the innings. It was just the hitting was so uh, bad because they were putting in players that normally don't play every day yes. because of all the injuries. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sold on Patrick Sandoval. I think he's going to be a star. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jose Suarez was really, really good too. So yeah. I, I do think, though, guys, to get those pitchers to go to that next level, because I can only relate to this what I did when I my early in my career when I was young. You need a couple big time pitchers around you to learn. Okay. Not only just those conversations in the dugout, just watching as a young pitcher how that guy competes. How say you know like for the Dodgers, if you're uh, Walker Bueller, watching Max Scherzer how he competes. Yeah. Those guys like that are are so invaluable. You need those aces. You know, there's a big conversation I saw that on social media today. What is the so-called ace? Well, for me, an ace is a guy that takes the ball every five days. Will give you seven plus innings gives your team a chance every time you take the mound to win. That's an ace. And when you're only scoring one run, that guy on the mound, that ace will win one nothing. So that that is what an ace is. So you need those type of guys in, in your rotation. I think it's going to end up being maybe two. You're always going to have a six-man rotation when Shohei Otani is in your rotation. Now, Shohei Otani right now, for me, those last 12 starts, that was an ace. I mean, he threw the ball. What do you have, like nine or 10 walks in his last 12 starts? I mean, that was incredible yeah. what he did. Everyone goes, well, his strikeout rate went down a little bit. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm totally fine what he did. He need When he needed the strikeout, he got it. He got some quick outs. He used his cut fastball. Yeah. <clears throat> he threw his breaking ball over for strikes. He did so many really, really smart things on the mound that I didn't know he had in him. I'll be honest with you. I didn't know he had that in him, to how to pitch. I always knew he had to stuff because he could throw 100 miles an hour that nasty splitter, but he started throwing a slider more. He threw his curveball on occasion, his cutter. He kind of evolved into an ace pitcher. So you add in another couple of them. Bryce Iglesias, for me, yeah, very important for this team. He he was so good, and I got to know him even more. Obviously, we were finally able to be down in the field in a dugout. What a joy to be around. I mean, I love – he's got that infectious smile. Mm -hmm. But he's a guy that can take the ball every day, every day. Yeah, he, he's all innings too, which is really not easy to find that as far as a closer. During that comfort zone again, three outs, he's fine getting three, four, five, six outs. And we saw that plenty of times this year. Yeah. 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 He, 
he was a, a a real gentleman's gentleman, like signing autographs during games for little kids. And then he come out with that <laughs> yeah. bulldog mentality in the ninth inning, just like, hey, stay away from me. I'm striking you out. Like that was the kind of closer I don't think we've seen in Anaheim here since uh, Frankie. So um, it, it was nice to see him. And I, I agree with you there. Oh, one thing real quick on Otani. Uh, I did notice early in the season he was throwing a lot of pitches. He was, you know, his pitch count was up before like fourth, fifth inning. You, I totally agree with you. Once he found that different way to pitch, he be, he did become an ace. He he grew up in the, as the season went. I mean, he just got better and better and better. Yeah, I mean, I I really thought when you think about conversation for Cy Young Award winners in the American League, I think yeah. he'll get he'll get some votes. Obviously, he wasn't he's not in the three finalists, but he'll get some votes, and deservedly so. I mean, he was nine and two. Is he rate what three point one seven or whatever it was? But you look about, I know of at least five runs that came across for him when he, when he was out of the game. That game in New York, everyone always talks about how he struggled, and he did. Yeah, there, there was a couple of pitches in that course of that first inning. I think if he would have been normal, if we had, you know, they should have been called strikes. But that's a whole different story. Left with the bases loaded, two outs, all three runs scored. Now that changes your ERA. There was another game too. He left first and second with two outs, and both of them scored. So that's five runs. You know, you're going you're gonna to give up some runs with base loaded with no outs, but bases loaded two outs. Generally, you have a pretty good chance of getting through that. He didn't. But uh, that being said, I mean, he was phenomenal. And, you know, there was people talking about, well, he didn't face some of the best teams. And I right away said, I, I put it all out. He faced every good team. The only game he struggled was really was the Yankees because they were saying that he, he missed some games. He pitched great against the Astros. He pitched great against Oakland. He pitched great against Toronto. He beat Boston. I mean, you look at the teams that he pitched – well against he, he pitched incredibly well against the white Sox. yep so he did i mean he did everything well i'll be going record that's the best season in any sport i've ever seen anybody have i mean there's no one i mean i joked around with a couple people recently i said it'd be like tom brady last year not only doing anything throwing the ball but going out and having like 11 sacks and four interceptions <laughs> Well, yeah. I, I, know, yeah. I know for a fact he didn't do that one. So there's <laughs> nothing that anybody's ever seen. That yeah. Joe Hay, I mean, he, that, unbelievable. I've never seen – I mean, I, I sit back now, guys, and I go, wow, we saw history. I mean, because all the comparisons between Babe Absolutely. Ruth and – I and I tried to look a lot – as much stuff as you can. You can only read a lot of it. You don't really get much as far as video of any kind or any kind of tape of that. But they look at it and compare his numbers. I know it was a different – you know, the baseball didn't carry like that and strikeouts were different than as far as on the hitting side and the pitching side, but you know, the stolen bases, the triples and all the other crazy stats. And besides the fact that, you know, and I trust me guys, when you pitch a game that next day, every part of your body hurts. And yet he was playing the next day and hitting home runs and stealing bases. I mean, it's, it's really, it's mind boggling what he did. So, I mean, that, that going forward with trout who in, it is going to go down as the best baseball player we've ever seen, but you can't waste those, those, those these kind of players, these generational type players and not let everyone else see them besides us. We want the whole world to see it. We want to see the whole country. See it. We want to see that in, in October and maybe even whatever, November 1st or 2nd. So is it fair to say that you think that Shohei Otani is the most talented player you've ever seen? Uh, Trout's really close. Bo Jackson was in, incredible, too. Yeah. So, I mean, I think what Shohei did this year is the most incredible thing that I've ever seen. Now, yeah, it takes an incredible okay. amount of talent. But as far as a superhuman being, Bo Jackson was pretty un unbelievable. And to see that 
in person on the baseball field and he gave me sideline passes for every Raider game at home at the Coliseum <laughs> and to watch that play football too. I was like, wow. And then, then seeing Trout doing what he has done. Uh, I always say Mike Trout is a combination for me on the personal level of a combination of George Brett and Bo Jackson. You put George Brett's baseball skills and Bo Jackson's athleticism and wow factor combined them together. And that's Mike Trout. So it, it's pretty cool to say we get to watch these guys, but like I said, I want everyone to see these two guys play because like my, my family's back in Philly and my brothers, you know, they're always talking about even today, Bryce Harper gets the Hank Aaron award. Uh, and they are saying how great Bryce Harper, because they see him. Yeah. They're not, it's tough to stay up at 1030 at yeah. night or 10 o'clock at night to watch the angels play uh, unless it's their home team they're playing. So it's, it's hard for everyone to see it. the best way to do that is what you see what Trouty has done in the All-Star game. You see what Shohei did leading off as a hitter and then pitching the first inning and home run derby. All those things, people got to see that part of it, but they don't get to see it on a daily basis. The only way you do that is in the postseason. And plus, being a winning team, uh, people will stay up and make the effort to watch you if you're winning. So if you're around 500, it's kind of hard to, to follow or some people don't put the time in. One other question I had uh, for you going to Mike Trout, though. How cool was it to hang out with him at an Eagles game? I saw that video back in the day because uh, he offered to take you out there and you guys are sitting right in the end zone, man. How cool was that? Yeah, you know, it was crazy because so here the schedule worked out so well. We were in Texas. Mm -hmm. It was on a Wednesday. We have an off day on Thursday and then we have a game on Friday in Chicago against the White Sox. So, you know, he, he asked me, hey, you have any interest in going to the Eagles? That was a home or after they won the Super Bowl. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so, and I, you know, going on his, they got a private jet. So it was a few of us there and Cam Bedrosian was in there too. And a few other people, uh, just is flying there and, and going to that game. And I'm watching these Eagles players, whether it's Carson Wentz or Zach Ertz or, or anybody else on the team, Fletcher Cox. Uh, I, I mean, I got my Fletcher Cox Jersey on watching the game. Okay. Uh, and I'm thinking these guys are all coming to say hi to him before the game. I'm like, man, these guys are in, in, in the midst of going into a major battle where they're going to get all beat up yet. They all found time to high five Trouty and stuff. And just to be there for that game, because in my lifetime, I didn't think the Eagles would ever win a Super Bowl ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, especially when Carson Wentz went down, you know, got hurt that game against the, the Rams, as a matter of fact. And then, you know, Nick Foles came in and put up a run that no one ever thought he would be able to do. It's yeah. it magical that they did that and wanted to be able to be there, that that home opener, thanks to Trouty. And I was just having a blast because even going back to the Super Bowl the next year, so we're texting back and forth. He texts me from the plane and he, and he shows his phone and they're all singing Fly Eagles Fly on the flight on the way out there. So there's a bunch of Eagle fans flying to Minneapolis. So. It's pretty cool to have that relationship. I know growing up in that area, like you're so passionate about sports. And that's yeah. why he's so passionate about bringing a championship to Anaheim again. Mm -hmm. And he wants the Angels to be so successful because he knows it's a difficult place to play growing up in that area, in Philly area, because everyone expects to win. And, and he, I think it, it really it hurts him because everyone's going to ask him the same question. It'll be the same thing in spring training again. Hey, you go, what's it going to take to get you to the postseason? Well, he does everything he can possibly do. I mean, it was a freak injury last year, and, and, and for him to be out from May to the end of the season, that definitely set everything. For a long period of time, this team was right around 500, just maybe a game or two over 500, you know, treading water without him. And then eventually we, it was very difficult having anybody 
in the lineup at all, you know, position player wise towards the end of the season. So guys were playing like a lot and they weren't normally in that role. So I gave those guys a lot of credit, but even going back to Trouty getting and, and doing everything he can to will this team to win, you could see he's taking that leadership role even more so. And, you know, when Albert had moved on too, he's got to that next level of knowing how important he is, not only playing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's tough to automatically be the guy as far as a leader, because maybe you, you lead by example on the field. But I think he realized how important he is for this team going forward, that he has to even go to that next level to be able to will his, his, his teammates into playing even better than they, they're capable of playing. Is he becoming more outspoken, you think, as a leader? Because I think that's where a lot of people, they don't tend to see, like, oh, who's the leader of the Angels? And they feel that it's got to be Trout, but then they don't see, they don't feel that he's that outspoken guy. Is that, is that the, do, does the public have that right, or, 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 is, or is he taking charge of this team behind the scenes? Yeah, he's, he's taking his, I mean, when you, first, when you think about when he first came out, Torrey Hunter was his mentor. Then it yeah. went to Albert Pujols. I mean, they're, that's two amazing leaders. Great, great human beings. Actually, saw Tori just yesterday. He's still he, every time he mentioned Trout's name, he's got the biggest smile on his face because he got to witness it. And they were good friends. That Trout, he has, you know, he has taken over that role. You don't see it as much where it's going to be, whether it's on, you know, you know, in the dugout. You see it in, in the clubhouse. First of all, his preparation and his work ethic is is incredible. You see it in the spring training because if you get to get down there, hopefully, I mean, obviously this year will be a little easier in spring training to be able to be around the guys. Uh, just seeing what kind of what he does working out, doing better things, taking better routes in the outfield, doing whatever it takes to be a better outfielder to go along with the better, obviously still trying to improve swinging the bat, running the bases. But those little things are really important because guys like Brandon Marsh and Joe Adele really took to the conversations. And I don't know if you remember, there was a game in Detroit where Joe Adele had a grand slam and he had a quick conversation with Trouty before coming oh, yeah. to the plate there. So those things are in, invaluable because you, you need those quick conversations because, you know, these guys, these young guys, they already know that Trout's what he has done, but Trout's still young. He's still a young guy too. So you, you have those conversations and know there's going to be some ups and downs, but what you're going to do at that moment to slow the game down, which is so important as a hitter, even more so I think than a pitcher, you have to slow the game down because if the game gets too quick, you grip the bat too, too firmly, things aren't going to go your way or try to, outguess the pitcher you just got to go up with your game plan and that's exactly what he was able to pass on to joe Adele and hits that grand slam against the tigers that great comeback win absolutely so if i if i could bring it back um a little bit um you know i want to give the fans maybe a little introduction to who you were as a player so you're drafted 34th overall um and that was an 81 by the royals uh you started your career, professional career by going 81 you had a 2.25 era uh, in 82, you missed almost the entire season due to injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 83, 14-12 uh, with a 2.72 ERA. And then that takes us to your first year making the playoffs in 1984. And, of course, as you alluded to earlier, in 85, you were on a World Series team. So what does it mean to, A, make the playoffs for the first time as a player, and how special is it to win a World Series? I would imagine, just like every other kid, that was your dream growing up. So walk us through both of those events. Yeah, the, the crazy thing is here the, the draft is, even going back to there in, in 81. So I'm in high school, 
back in 1980, I'm at game six of the World Series where the Phillies are actually playing the Royals in the World Series. Wow. It's the first and only game I ever went to a game with my dad in my entire life. So we're sitting right behind the dugout in that World Series game six. Uh, their first base coach for the Phillies, his name was Ruben Amaro Sr. His, uh, his son's Ruben Amaro Jr. and David Amaro both went to my high school. We were teammates on the baseball team. And he gave us two tickets for that World Series game. Now, we didn't know for sure it was going to work out the way it did, but the Phillies ended up winning the World Series that night. And it was an incredible celebration. So, and to be there with my dad, it was still one of the most magical things I've ever been. It's like one of the only times in my lifetime I remember embracing and hugging my dad. And, oh. and it was like one of those crazy, cool moments. They never won the World Series at that point. And to be there with him for that one was, was really cool. So then you, you go forward to the 81 draft. So then the Phillies and the Royals were going to have the last two picks of the first round. So I kept hearing, you know, the scouts were there, you know, great, granted playing baseball in Philly, it's cold that time of the year. It's not like California or Florida or Texas where there's a zillion scouts and you're playing 12 months a year. Well, I'm playing four months a year. I'm playing football and base and basketball the other four months, you know, each, each one of the sports. So, you know, I'm hearing, you know, the Braves, the Yankees, but the Phillies were going to draft me if I fall that far into the first round. So lo and behold, the first round I go goes through, I think the Phillies had the 30th pick or 28th pick and the Philly uh, Royals had 27. I guess it was only 28 teams. So that went by. So then I'm like, oh man. So then the, the very next, it was a compensation pick because Daryl Porter was a catcher for the Cardinals and he signed, I mean, he was with the Royals, signed with the Cardinals. So they got a compensation pick that was when I was drafted. So it was funny because Mike Gallego was drafted, our bench coach, just before me. I was drafted there. And then Mark Langston was drafted right after us. So it was us three together from the same draft. But, you know, to, to get there and then, you know, I had a pretty successful rookie ball season, like you mentioned. The second year I hurt my shoulder. And there was a little doubt at that point. I'm like, you know, I never really had any injuries before. I mean, I broke a lot, a lot of bones. Trust me, guys, a lot of bones, like eight bones in my career. From different injuries and different ways of doing it but so i got slowed down i, I ended up going to and called instructional league that 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 uh fall so i was a closer for the royals at that point just i think they were just saying well let me try you at a bullpen so that was they were basically just saying that they were trying to build my arm strength up so the next year go to double a and and everything went well you know it was a pretty good season made an all-star team mark langston was my all-star team uh teammate there too when he was winning Chattanooga with the Mariners and I was with the Royals in Jacksonville. Uh, so then, you know, lo and behold, somehow, some way, make that jump from double A to the big leagues. I didn't play in triple A uh, to make the playoffs that first year. Cause we ran into what I, I will argue with anybody. I thought that 84, you guys are too young for this, but if you look back at that team, that 84 Detroit Tiger team may have been the best team I've ever seen. I mean, they were incredibly deep. Sparky Anderson was their manager. Kirk Gibson was on the team. You know, you had Alan Trammell, Hall of Famer. Uh, you had Lance Parrish behind the plate. You had Lou Whitaker, who should be a Hall of Famer. Howard Johnson was a platoon player on that team before he goes over the Mets and has an incredible career. So they were really good. They had Jack Morris, who was a, you know, Hall of Famer. Willie Hernandez won the – They won the World Series that year, right? Yeah, they beat the they beat the Padres that year. Right. So, you know, that, that thing was so crazy. Just, and I'm thinking, wow – but the Royals had been in the playoffs for a lot of years. You know, they have been there in the mid seventies, the eighties and losing that world series. So I'm thinking this is going to be something I'm going to be part of every year. So then when we make the playoffs the next year, we were picked to be in fifth place in our division, even though we made the playoffs. 
So we, we started off slow, like the Royals always did. And we were seven and a half games out of the all-star break. Kind of similar to what you saw with the Atlanta Braves this year. We open up a five game series in New York because we had a couple rainouts and we just got crushed. So we lose all five. Ooh. So we're thinking, you know, maybe everyone was right. We're going to be a fifth place team. But I remember we had some veterans, George Brett and this guy, Hal McCray was a great player. And, and Frank White was a eight time gold glove winner at second base. They all said the same thing. Don't worry. We always get hot in August and September. And we got the angels eight games in September. And I'm looking as a, you know, as a baseball fan, I'm looking at all those guys from Reggie Jackson, Rod Carew, Bobby Gritch, and all these guys on this Angels team. I'm like, there's no way we're going to beat them. But we end up winning seven of eight, like I mentioned before. So we get to – we win by one game. We were 91 and 71. I think the Angels were 90 and 72. Then we fall behind right away, three games to one against Toronto. <clears throat> and that team was just – I mean, they had their outfield was incredible. And they're actually their overall talent. Came back in that series – fell right away behind 3-1 to the Cardinals. And I remember after game four, George Brett came in there in the locker room and we were pretty down there because we, we already had that magical comeback. He goes, we got him exactly where he wanted. And he popped open a Budweiser and never said another word. <laughs> we were like going, and we're like, man, is he serious about this? And that's all he said. And then you can see it in his face. He's like, so we all like go, maybe he's right. And then boom, we came back. We were the only team in, I don't know if all of sports history, but certainly baseball to ever come back with three to one deficit in back-to-back series to win a world series. So it was, it was magical. It was, it was a team that we're still friends. We, we went on golf trips for 15 years after we were done playing this, because it was just, awesome. this, a group of brothers. We, you know, it was like we were brothers for life and, and, and the guys from that point before we just kind of stay connected all the time because just like when I talked to Tim Salmon and Garrett Anderson I saw Garrett yesterday too that 2002 team they'll they'll walk like we said we always say that they're going to walk as friends forever because there was something they had no business winning that World Series that year they weren't supposed to beat the Yankees they weren't supposed to beat the Twins they certainly weren't supposed to come back against the Giants like they did but they did and and the big thing everyone always said there was something about their team and the players, and they, were, they never felt they were ever out of a game. And under any circumstances, they feel they were ever going to lose. And remember, the Oakland A's that year won, like, what, 21 games, or whatever it was, in a row. Yeah. And the Angels Money won ball. the wild card. So, I mean, it was it's incredible because when teams play well together, you can have all the talent in the world. It, sometimes that's not going to – I mean, it helps sometimes. But when you play well and, and you stay healthy, you have a chance to win. And when you have the right people leading you – so she did a great job leading that team. Our, our manager, who's been gone for a long time, Dick Hauser, was incredible because every day he would come in and goes, hey, guys, uh, we're going to win this. And if he had a bad game, he, he'd come in and say it was my fault. If, he had, if the team had a good game, he would let everyone celebrate. So he absorbed the negative and the losses and allowed the players to enjoy the victories and all the successes. We talked to uh, Steve Fiziak, uh, last no beginning of the season, and uh, we brought you up and because, you know, when you go to Kansas City, you know, they always have a special place for you there. You know, obviously in the Royals Hall of Fame and everything, but they do value that team tremendously. Even though they've won, they've had success a few years ago, uh, that 85 team was special to that community and to the, to the state of Missouri. And Fiziak um, always has the nicest things to say about you, or in, in, including in the interview. And uh, he said, oh, yeah, well, you know, we love going out to Anaheim visiting because obviously him and Hud are there. But uh, he goes, yeah, whenever Gooby's down, you know, we, we always make it a, 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 an opportunity to say hi to him and stuff like that. So you're reveled over there. They, 
and, and those the 85 team man i mean like again like i started watching baseball in 86 when my pops and but he talked about you guys a lot the 85 team he's like man that team was so good you know and that astroturf was crazy i mean how was it like to play on that hard astroturf compared to what they play on now well that, that, i'll tell you i have a piece of it in my, in my <laughs> as a matter of fact it is it's uh, I, you know it's only like this thick you think of you know now the astroturf they have now it's spongy where the guys come up i tell you like george brett frank white willie wilson where they walked i don't know if you ever saw john elway walk at the end of his career where you could see his knees in there yeah yeah, yeah. her knees and their feet were just killing them because that that was like playing in a schoolyard I mean, it was that hard. Man. Baseball would fly through there. It was and sometimes during the summer, it would be 160 plus degrees on the turf, and it was hot afternoon games. Uh, you know, but the, the thing is, the guys would come in there. You know, the infielders and outfielders would put their feet in buckets of ice, and you could see the steam coming off their cleats. Wow. <laughs> you didn't have the rubber cleats at all at that point, too. So you had the metal cleats, so it, it took its toll on a lot of guys. But we always used that field as our advantage because it was such a big field. And we had such good athletic outfielders that covered a lot of ground. Those other teams that came in, especially teams from like the AL East, from, you know, whether the Yankees or Red Sox, they're used to mashing the ball out in their ballparks. But in our yard, you could, they played a lot deeper, so they didn't want to give up triples and inside the park home run. So yeah. we used that, just like St. Louis did, we used that to our advantage. It was, you know, Steve Balboni led our team for home, with home runs that year in 85 with 36, and that stayed a, a club record to about 2016 when Mike Moustakis broke it, and then eventually Jorge Soler broke it, and then this past season Salvador Perez broke it. But before that, it lasted for like 20 or 30 years. So this team was always – we were always built around speed, defense, and pitching. And that's that's why I think with the Angels, with the direction they're going right now, and that's the conversation with Perry Manassian now, speed and, 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 and especially the pitching staff. If you pitch well – and catch the baseball, you, you seriously have a chance every game. Now, granted, some of those games are going to be low scoring, some, and some baseball fans don't love that as much. And, and there'll be games where you will score some runs. But if you have pitching and defense, you literally can win every game, no matter what the scenario is. Because that guy on the other side on the mound, if he's locked in that day, you're not going to win unless you outpitch him. So that's why I think we were able to win. I look at how many veterans were on the everyday lineup in that 85 team. But we had a pitching staff of myself, Saber Hagen. I was 22 at that point. He was 21. Danny Jackson was 23. Okay. Our veterans of our staff was Bud Black, who only had like three or four years in the big leagues, and Charlie Liebrand, who had about two or three. So we had a really, really young pitching staff. But we fed off each other. We competed against each other and the opponent. So every time like somebody had a good game, we were like, okay, I'll do better than him that next day. And it kept going like that. That's where I think you're going to see that with uh, with Suarez or Sandoval, these guys going and watching one of a couple of those veterans. Alex Cobb's a guy that I hope that, that the Angels bring back because I think he could do that. He missed some time. I think he would have been even better for this team if he would have been able to pitch more. But, boy, he did a great job when he was in there. So there's a lot of positives yeah. about that. I still love the fact is our game is, in, in my opinion, even though there's a CBA coming up here in, in December, there's a lot to love about this game of baseball. I mean, the parody in the game, 15 world champions in the last 21 years. That's phenomenal. I mean, what other sport can say that where you have that many different yeah. champions? So I, I think everything's going the right direction. I think you're going to see, you know, I, I'm maybe getting ahead of myself here with the CBA coming up. I think the universal DH, anybody, just because they saw five pitchers swing the bat in that one World Series game, <laughs> no. 
The only, <laughs> the only pitcher I want to see swing the bat is Shohei Otani. That's the only guy I want to see swing the bat. Well, I know you joke around. And you say, "Hey, the pitch when when the pitcher does get a hit, there's the best athlete on the field right there." But I know you you do want to see the DH. I think a lot of fans are ready for that too. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, you you bring up a good point. I mean, I remember in the '90s, it was always Yankees, Braves, Braves. You know, maybe the sprinkle in the Indians. A team like the Marlins would come out of nowhere. But yeah, the parody is great for baseball. I, I I think that's something that brings the young fans. One quick question I have, real quick. I'm sorry, Fernando. I know you got one too. Um, but but the the far, as far as like how they say let the kids play now mm-hmm. would would that have flown with you when you were a pitcher or, or would you have preferred that when you when you were pitching yeah the, the funny thing is everyone thought because you know they look back at the way i was i was uh fairly animated i was like you know because everyone always sees me as a pretty chill dude but that day when i pitched i was a it was a different beast i was like a i always joke around i was like a i was an mma fighter that day and you know i could be the coolest dude but that day i hated anybody was wearing a different color than me i mean yeah, I, I could have been my brother on the other team if it was my brother hey if he wanted to charge them out we were going but uh i have <laughs> i have no problem with anybody enjoying themselves because i if you if you looked at any highlights i was a guy that i stared at hitters i pit i i yeah. just pumped when i got a big out i was very animated going off to, you know, off the field into the dugout uh, i mean i just love competing so my emotions at time. That's why I, guys, I literally never watched any video of any game that I ever pitched because I, I knew that I'd be, I'd be embarrassed by myself by some of the things <laughs> I did. And I was like, you know what? I, I can't watch it because I, you know, because every once in a while now, we're like, you mentioned going back to KC or even other highlights, everyone goes, man, you were staring down this guy or you were, you were like shooing him back to the dugout or this and that. And, and guys like, you know, even talking, you mentioned HUD. I remember a couple of times when I was backing up, third base and he was in the dugout he was saying something he said hey you flipped me the bird i'm like Man, I, I don't remember doing half this stuff but when, you know but i i love it i love when a guy if he hits a ball and and back flips it because you know what hitting a baseball is incredibly hard to do oh yeah or, yeah. or if you need a big strikeout you see you know uh, uh what's it gratter off for the dodgers you know doing all the stuff he does going off the mound i'm like dude i love that i mean it's you're doing something that you love and if you if you can get somebody out, I mean, I, I don't want you to embarrass your your, your opponent because that's not right. But if you're showing emotion, I'm all for it. Because everyone's asked me that. There's no way you would let, you would be you'd be drilling these hitters if they did. I go, no, I wouldn't. First of all, it was my fault that I gave up that home run. So yeah. I, I'll be punching myself in the face. But I, but I my first thing I would say is when I ever get a chance to get him out, trust me. I will fist pump him all the way back to the dugout. So I, I wanted that. I mean, I, I I wanted that that guy on the other side to dislike me with a passion, and I was fine with that because I didn't like him either. I didn't like him, you know. But once you know, once those guys, those opponents came to the Royals and put on the same uniform as mine, they go, "Wow, you're you're way different." Than I thought you were. I go, "What do you mean by that?" I says, "He goes, you were a complete. You know what? <laughs> faced you, and I'm like, that's what you're supposed to be, right? You know, that's what I was." always tough from Dennis Leonard was one of my idols growing up. I mean, with the Royals, he was a pitcher and Bruce Keeson was one of my pitching coaches who was playing with the angels too. In his career, he goes, you know what? That's what you're supposed to be. You're not supposed to make friends on the field and make friends after the game. That's what all it is. I mean, you're friends and you're fine after the game, but when you're in there, people are coming to the ballpark, paying good money or watching the game on TV or listening to the radio. They want the very best of you with your focus of trying to win and whatever it takes to win the game whether you, you die for a bunt, you know, as a pitcher 
or you make a, you know, a great pitch to get a strikeout or you back up home instead of pouting. If you give up a hit, you might save a run. It might save an error for one of your teammates. All those things come into play in my opinion. So, yeah, I mean, long story short, I think it's great when people show their emotion. Yeah, there was a, a game in, I don't know if you saw it in Miami, where the, the uh, player hit a home run off the Nationals pitcher and he did like a shimmy. And, and and so so then the next time the pitcher came up to face the batter, he struck him out. And as he walked off, he did the same shimmy. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. They didn't yeah. fight or nothing. They just were like, okay, you know, respect, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's what it is. I mean, I've always, yeah, I have, I never had a problem. And I believe me, I, I didn't give up a lot of home runs. I was more of a sinker ball pitcher. So when I gave up a home run, it was a long way. <laughs> no doubter but and if they took a while to go around the bases you know what i made a mistake but i guarantee you when i got you out the next time i will, I will show you the same kind of emotion you showed me too so it was fun it was all you know it was all battle every day i mean like i say i'm not trying to make friends from the, from the other team until after the game where we can hang out maybe and have a beer or get a bite to eat or something like that but when we're playing not my friend gotcha so earlier you had talked about Bo Jackson, the freakish athlete he was. Um, what's maybe one example that you can give us listeners and you know our listeners to the kind of athlete that he truly was? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a good – there were so many times, whether it was – I remember his first home run was off of Mike Moore, went 475 feet, which I know was way further than that. But we're I'm pitching the game in Fenway Park, which was – I still one of my favorite ballparks to either pitch in or go to as a fan now or as a broadcaster. So I'm on I'm on the mound. There's a man on I think it might be first and second. He's playing left field at Fenway with the Green Monster, and I gave up a I don't know I can't remember what was hit. It was a rocket to left center field. You'll see these highlights. I mean that's one of those ones they always show where he goes hit it. I'm like God, I'm already dropped my head. I'm running towards. I didn't know whether to back up third base or home because. One run's going to score more than likely. Maybe the guy comes all around to first base, so I'm kind of hovering in between third and home, and I'll adjust what, depending on where the throw was. And all of a sudden, just out of corner of my eye, I look up, and I see Bo Lilly diving in the air. And I'm thinking – and they, he's like – most people dive, and they, they hit the ground quickly. Like, he's going forever, and, and he catches his ball in left center field on a complete – like, there's some guys in the outfield, trust me, they time their dives really well. It makes it look good, but this was a flat out flying through the air like Superman. In third base coach, I'm running. I'm like, I look at him. He's looking at me like, he just goes, I, I have no idea how that happened. And and the, everyone's looking around like, what in the world has happened? And he dives and catches this ball, and everyone's just kind of standing there on the base and running like, what? And you know, it's like, and then he gets up, pops up, throws it, you know, throws it quickly in the second base, and I'm thinking. I'm thinking I'm going from having two earned runs to now I'm probably going to get out of the inning. And I was like, I'm thinking there's no way he ever, I'm telling you this guys, no human being ever catches that ball. There's, there's some great ones in the outfield that can run uh, Jimmy Edmonds play in center field against the Royals that in, when I was with the, actually with the angels in 97 over the shoulder play was the greatest play I ever saw as a fan. Yep. And his team, but, but that play, being in there with Bo making that play diving. I mean, him run, running up the wall in Baltimore, we've seen that highlight a lot. The throw where you got Harold Reynolds at home plate and up in Seattle at Kingdom. Uh, all those things, incredible. His first at bat, it's going against my idol, Steve Carlton. He's with Cleveland at the point. Hits a home run. To this day, Bo will say it was fair. I mean, he said he hit it so far 
the foul pole, it went over, he fell, it went over it, but it went so far out that the umpire just thought it was foul. But if he had replay, he probably would have been able to see it was a fair ball. So then he hits a ground ball to the second baseman and he beats it out. That's a right-handed batter hitting a ground ball to second base and he beats it out for his first hit. So I'm like, wow, this dude ain't real. He's just not real at all. So, and it, and like going back to watching those Raider games where like Bob Golick was a defensive lineman for that Raider teams, but he come over and he goes one day, I'm just throwing the game. These guys are all like getting beat up and stuff. He goes, dude, this dude's not real. I mean, he's flying by people at that size that you would think a wide receiver is going to be running that fast, but he was fast, but he was incredibly strong. So just a great dude. I mean, I, I we had so many good conversations. We still keep in touch. And and I kept trying to get him to meet Shohei this year. Cause I thought that would be my ultimate goal to have two of the biggest freaks of nature together, you know, with Shohei Otani and, and Bo Jackson, but it didn't work out maybe next year where everything will be a little more loose in, in, in the country. So that'd be pretty cool to see that happen. Man, the world would not be ready for that. Could you imagine? Yeah. King Kong and Godzilla, really. Yeah. You know? Exactly. So speaking of unreal, let's talk about your 1988 season. So you finished third in Cy Young, in the Cy Young voting that year. 20 and eight, four shutouts, 269 uh, innings, uh, and, and two-thirds, I believe. And then a 2.7 ZRERA. What was working for you that season? Like, when you're on a roll like that, like, is it just the confidence what is it? Yeah. I mean, the the crazy thing is you go back to the year before I was 13 and 18. Uh, So you think of 18 losses, that's a horrible season. But I remember talking to the same Burp Lye 11 or even Jim Palmer. He goes, man, you were in the game for 31 decisions. That's a lot. That means your manager has a lot of respect for you. So there were some things I did well that year, but there were things I did wrong. And I had 120 walks or something crazy. I did have 250 innings pitched. But I remember we changed our pitching coach and it, it was my pit, new pitching coach. His name was Frank Funk. And the first day of spring training that year in 88, he comes up, he goes, can you do me a favor? And I'm like, yeah, you know, cause I had to go to arbitration. So I'm fighting with a GM and who's John Sheerholz, who's in the hall of fame. Now he went to the Braves after us, you know, cause it's arbitration though, not a front process. So he goes, I need you to try something. I need you to try easy. So I looked at him, I go, you know, Frank, uh, that's not my DNA, man. I, I, where I grew up, what I had to do, deal with all my life. 17 dudes hanging out in the schoolyard every day, all kinds of crazy stuff. I go, I, I can't do that. I just don't have it. And he goes, trust me, just do this. Try easy. I go, okay, what does that mean? He goes, instead of trying to throw the ball through the catcher's mitt, just kind of don't go, instead of 100% or 110%, try 90%. So I'm like, all right, whatever. So then the spring training game, my first game out there, uh, he's, he's looking at me. I'm looking at him from the mound in the dugout. He goes, he's giving me this, like, go on, let's give it a shot. So I threw the first pitch, like, say 95%. And it was right down the middle of the plate, and home plate umpire called it a ball. And right away, my mind's like, I, I'm like, I almost got thrown out of the game by the umpire. Oh, so he man. runs out. And he's trying to bring <laughs> In a spring up. training game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, it gave, the guy's name was Joe Brinkman, too, was an umpire for a lot of years. And so he comes out and, and I'm like, Joe, where that ball is right down the middle. He goes, ah, he's screaming at me. And Frank Funk, our pitcher goes, he goes, that was a pretty good pitch. One of Joe he goes, you know what, guys, I did miss it. And from, that, from this point forward, you're going to be my favorite pitcher. I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so he goes back to the, behind the plate. So I throw the next pitch. It was a borderline pitch. Probably could have been a ball. Cause it a strike. So then all of a sudden, like, instead of being like this, this crazed, like MMA fighter, like I always was. And all of a sudden I'm like, I, figured out the art of pitching. So then I started hitting both sides of the plate 
And then that year, I'm, I'm going out and going nine innings and completing a game, going 92 pitches instead of having 110 pitches in four innings, trying to throw the ball as hard as I could. And then they kind of snowball where I gained a lot of confidence. So then later on in the year, I go into the – because our, uh, our locker room in Kansas City was very close to the home play – I mean, the umpire's locker room. So I went in there, and lo and behold, Joe Brinkman had a picture of my one of my baseball cards in his locker. I kid you not. And, it, like, from that point forward, we became – really good friends. So I kind of, it was like one of those moments where I learned to relax and it was so hard for me to do that. Cause all my life, I was like, nobody was going to give me a chance. I never thought I would ever make the big legs. You know, everyone go like, everyone say, you're never going to be able to make it because you're, you come from a cold climate. You don't play a whole lot. These guys from California and blah, 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 blah. All these guys are better than you. I'm like, you know, you just kind of fight this, fight this, fight this. So to get there to finally be able to take it that deep breath. That's why if you ever hear me in the broadcast, the most important thing when a pitcher is making a debut is take a deep breath and yeah. relax. And because when you're, when you're tense, you guys will notice even when you're doing your shows, when you're tense and you're not talking well, everything else, if you just relax your, your shoulders and take a deep breath, boy, everything's so much easier to do. So it was, it was one of those moments where I didn't do it necessarily on, you know, try to do it, but it, it allowed me to figure out that process. And from that point forward, you know, I was able to become a, the pitcher I, I always envisioned myself being, you know, then a couple injuries here and there kind of derailed that progression. But, you know, I'll never regret anything I did in my career because, you know, every day I went there with the, the preparation and, and just the, the will to go out there and succeed. And then you're seeing a lot of guys talk about how difficult it is on the mental aspect in the game right now. now I, I haven't told this story a lot, but just a few people, like literally every game before I would pitch, I'm walking down to the bullpen. I'm telling myself, I, I, I can't do this. I can't, I can't pitch. I can't do this. I feel like my heart is going to explode. My chest is tight. Uh, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And then as soon as the gate opens up to the bullpen, boy, all of a sudden I was like, you know, I was a gladiator and the lions and everything else. Boom, I'm fine. But from that moment, from walking to the clubhouse, to the dugout, to the bullpen, I wanted to quit every game. It was weird. Every game. You know, that four days in between my workout routines, I gave myself the best opportunity physically to be ready. But then as soon as I walked out there, I was like, God, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And then the gates open, whether it's at home or on the road, and I was ready to go. But it was just, just that mental part of it where you were just the constant battle. It's like, I don't know if you ever, for the, I always joke around for the love of the game, that whole stuff about clear the mechanism with Kevin Costner saying, everyone goes, oh, I don't know if I love that movie. I said, man, if you're a pitcher, it's so true because there's so many variables come into your mind during a course before every game, every pitch. My best games are where the games where I didn't think. Because there's games where I'm rolling. I'm like, all right, I'm in the fifth inning. Okay, if I get through the sixth inning, seventh inning, I've got the right part of the order, I'm going to be good. I looked ahead and boom, that sixth inning, I, I got blasted. So you know, the whole thing of just trying to, to stay on that safe, even keel this when I ever talked to any of the players, I really had a pretty good relationship with Garrett Richards. It was pretty core conversation. I still have lots of conversations with him and Kevin Jepson about little things here and there. That, that part of the thing is where that's why I say getting that ace or the two veteran pitchers that are going to help those other guys out. Because when the game gets going, I think Patrick Sandoval did a great job this year. We mentioned a bunch of times, he started to slow the game down where he needs to be because most times when you're competitive, you get, going even faster and it comes down to you're not breathing again everything's tightened up because you're not allowing your, your your everything to be able to relax to go out there and perform at your highest level 
Did you um did you carry on a lot of these these uh things that you learned from your pitching coach and in your career to the players at Chaminade and then talking to some of the young angel pitchers this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I loved my, when I was able to. I was the head coach at Chaminade for I think it was about four years, and still till until the, this pandemic, where I was still volunteering, going over there, and, and I, you know, just try to explain those kind of stories. And and I remember like certain pitching coaches, like Bruce Keeson, would go out, and you know, before you go, hey man, uh, what are you up to tonight after the game? You know, this is when like the the crazy moments. Say I'm facing like Don Mattingly at the plate or whatever. He goes, I go, what do you mean? I'm like, hey man, you, you know let's get a beer after the game or let's, you know, let's go out and have a good time after the game, grab a bite to eat. And I'm like, all right. So then I'm like, then all of a sudden like, Oh, and then it goes, okay, your front shoulders moving a little bit too quick. Let's go ahead and focus and use all your pitches. So just to get you, we always say, I even said to my kids at Chaminade, let's get out of that freak zone where your mind is like freaking out on you. This get out of there for a while. And then you get, then you're able to get the message you need to be able to get across to the pitch, your young pitchers or, some of the guys in the angels. So, because when everything's going along, because you're already thinking you've already, especially nowadays when you're processing all this information you're getting and it's all good information, but all these numbers, 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 and all these times, what's, what's he do on three, three, one count. What's he looking for? Three, one count. Your mind is going so fast. You're not allowing yourself to be, be physical on the mound. So they, for a pitching coach to go out and have a quick conversation or anybody have a quick conversation to get you out of that freak mode, to get back into, okay, now you relax. Okay, this is what you got to do. That's how you get back in there as quick as possible and you have a better chance of being successful. Okay. All right, Gooby, last few questions I've got for you. Mm -hmm. So walk me through your desire to be a broadcaster and how nervous do you remember being for your first call? Is it just as nerve wracking as, you know, pitching, you know, but maybe not. Yeah, that's a good question. Now, here, I'll, I'll put it towards you in almost a baseball term. I remember Bud Black was a teammate of mine in Kansas City, and he said, the minute you're not nervous about going out there and performing is the minute you got to go retire. So, all right, so in, on the broadcasting side, from that, that first game, I was nervous till the last game of the season, I was nervous going into the game. So that tells me that I'm still enjoying what I'm doing. So the nerves are always going to be there. If, if they're not, then you should go home. Then, then you're just kind of mailing it in. Now, the, on the broadcasting side, it was it's crazy how this really all started for me because here I am, you know, I'm done playing. I'm thinking, all right, I started coaching a travel ball team. Eventually, started coaching over there at Chaminade, and you know, I'm, I'm in Vegas because I go there with my family and my my in laws and some friends every year for the Super Bowl. So, I'm in, I'm in Vegas. I get a call from ESPN. They go, hey, we want you to come in and do an audition for the Baseball Tonight Show. I go, yeah, sure, I'll do that. They go, well, we need you to come in now. I'm like, man, I'm here with my family and my friends. I'll come in on Monday. They go, no, we need you to come now. So I guess they were testing me, whatever. And that was like the Saturday we were out there. I'm like, I'll be there Monday. They go, no, nah, that's okay. We'll pass. So I'm like, okay. So I'm thinking, okay, that's never going to happen. Maybe it wasn't meant to be. So then a couple, maybe about a month later, Fox Sports Net calls me and they say, hey, you're willing to come in and do an audition for it. We're going to start doing a show called Baseball Today. It was a live show in four different regions. I was doing it with Steve Sachs and Ron Darling got to start. We both got our start at the same time. And so I go in there and do an audition. No idea what I'm even supposed to. They didn't even give me any idea what we're doing. 
all I saw was four cameras all around and I'm thinking, I see one with a red light. So I'm thinking, you know what? Nobody told me to do that, but I'm thinking, all right, that means that one's on me. So I'm looking there and, and dressing the camera as if it's my friend or a teammate. So then I was able to do this audition. They, they go, okay, we'll call you. I'm like, oh, I remember the old thing. Hey, we'll call you. You know, I'm thinking there's no way they're going to call me. So then at night they go, hey, you're hired. Can you be here tomorrow? I'm like, whoa. So then it kind of snowballed into that. I started, I was doing a radio show over at 570. It was called the Southern California Baseball Report. And I did that on Fridays and Sat or Saturdays and Sundays where there was times I was producing all that I was getting interviews set up from, you know, I did an interview, you know, with so many different, I even had Larry King on there for, we talked for like 30 wow. minutes. He's a big, huge baseball fan. And, you know, Chris Berman, I had on there, Jim Palmer, a bunch of really cool people just that I knew. And I tried to call them and I set them all up. We did that. And, and then I'm sitting there and I started doing pre and post for the angels and the Dodgers way back about 2004, I guess it was. And, you know, we're doing it from Staples Center because they used to have a studio right down there. That's where the Fox right. Sports was. Mm -hmm. And, then, you know, they were having their holiday party. And, and Tom Fuhr was the executive producer for Fox Sports at that point. And, and this guy named Steve Simpson was the president of the company. And they go, hey, uh, what about you and Jose Moda doing games? Like, I mean, doing games. <laughs> you go, Jose is going to do about 50 games and, and as play-by-play. -play, and then you're going to do you know, those games with him as a color analyst, any, any desire to do that? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm do that. And then lo and behold, it snowballed into where I'm at right now. This will be my 16th year coming up, which is crazy to think that, you know, I, I played a very minimal amount of time with the angels. Uh, that's one of my biggest regrets is not being more successful on the field for the angels. Cause I felt that everything was going, going to be going in the right direction. I got hurt in spring training, my shoulder, and it just, it was done. And uh, so but the weird thing is, I always believe there's there's always something meant to be. I mean, when I was traded to the Angels for Chili Davis, I had to approve the trade. And if I don't, I'm out here right now. So there was something, in, in, you know, the Angels wanted me. Uh, the, the Royals at that point, you know, they were going in a different direction too. So I said, did we approve the trade? I said, yeah, I'd love to. My daughter got ready to go to kindergarten, my oldest one. That could be home at this point. Uh, California was my home for it's about 86 at that point. So I'm like, this would be a great opportunity for me. Like I said, I never, you know, my biggest regret is not pitching better for the angels. But uh, if I hadn't accepted that trade, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. So it worked out great. I mean, I love what I'm doing. Uh, being around the guys all the time, still feeling part of that camaraderie as far as a, as a player and as an athlete, because you're there with them and you're still, and they're still asking me questions and I'm still asking them questions have fun with that Gooby Tuesday stuff. We're having little yeah. stuff here and there and hopefully we'll, yeah, we'll have to go back. <laughs> exactly. We'll have to go back and be able to do that a little bit more. Now that we'll be a little more open and free to be able to do that. Because uh, I love the personalities because there's so baseball players because you play every day. It's tough to really to get their personalities out because it's not like basketball or, or because they play three, four times a week. So there's yep. some downtime football once a week. Baseball is every and everyday grind so these guys it's hard to ask for their time when they barely have enough for their own self and their own family so to be able to get their personalities out and, and be able to do those things it's, it's been really something i never thought i really never thought i was ever going to be doing this i grew up playing stickball listening to harry callis and a guy named richie ashburn with the phillies every day playing stickball listening to those guys and that's how i 
I realized how important we are as broadcasters to the fan base because you you live the game through them. I mean, Trout is the guy, Otani's the guy, but when you look <laughs> back, if you look even with the Dodgers, it's Vin Scully and everybody else has played. So, and like for me, Harry Callis was, was it. I mean, Steve Carl and Mike Schmidt, all those great players, but Harry Callis, I do, he did a game, he came in our booth when Rory Marcus was was doing the play by play with me, and I, I couldn't I couldn't even talk. He was doing an inning with me, and, and Rory Marcus, who's one of the all time great human beings, I miss him dearly every day. Absolutely, he's looking at me just laughing, going, "Dude, you're you're a child right now." I go, "Yes, I, I mean, this is Harry Callis. He's sitting right next to me. He goes, "Hey, Mark, how you doing?" And I'm like, "I remember you at William Penn Charter High School." And I'm like, "Oh my God, Harry Callis is sitting right." Next to me. <laughs> it's like when I messed around with Vince Scully because. He would come over in our booth. I go over to his booth. We're joking around all the time. And, and it was like, wow, these are like people that you feel are part of your family. So when, when I have fans go like, oh man, I love listening to you or, or you know, love being, you know, watching the games, it feels like we're all family. Cause that's for me, even after the games, that last game of the season, walking into the post game show and I'm seeing the fans are all, they're still smiling. Like I go, man, I feel so bad. I want this team to win because these fans are coming out every day. They're supporting this club. They're supporting the players. I'm like, man, I want, these, I, I want this team to win. I want them to, you know, have those thunder sticks going like it had in 2002. I want to see that, feel that energy because it's there. It's there, but you just got to get to that next level. So I, I think being part of that family and I think being a broadcaster makes you feel part of the family. I know it's a long, long answer to your, to your question, but uh, I, I, for me, it's part of being part of the family that's so important. Yeah, I, I have uh, one more comment and one more question real quick. Uh, you know, we, we interviewed Darren and Rich this year, mm -hmm. and they both had nothing but nice things to say about you and how you make things so comfortable because they were nervous coming into their situation, mm -hmm. and you just made things so comfortable for them. And they said, you know, if you ever say hi to Gooby, you know, uh, tell him we really appreciate, you know, uh, what, what he did for us and the things they learned from you. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like they were trying to emulate or, or trying to say that, hey, you know, or how the things that you've learned from broadcasters that you brought up like Scully and others, you've passed that down to others and they've appreciated that. And, and going to what the fans uh, were saying, us included, we see you there at the post game or whatever pregame and you're as nice as can be. You're, you know, you, you fist bump all the fans. And I think fans remember that, you know, like, oh, man, we met Mark. You know, he's just as nice in person as he is on on television so you have that relationship we just wanted to let you know with angel fans where you're adored you're you are family like you brought up uh thanks for that because I, I i learned that from my dad right away i remember like my first year like we you know he came out to a, a, our game my my first start and it was freezing and there was a bunch of fans waiting by my car at that point you parked right with everybody else there was no there's no you know area where the players parked and fans parked so we're literally i'm parked next to everybody and people ask for autographs. So I'm signing my dad looked at me, goes, son, sign every single one you and every single person you ever see. Don't just sign it, but say something nice to them. Because you know what? At some point, there'll come a time where nobody's who you are. Nobody's going to ask you for your autograph. So I'm like, you know, that it kind of set in. I'm like, you know what? And I always believe, and his big theory with, I have three older brothers. He goes, and we all live by the same thing. We always joke about this. Even to this day, we said, my dad said, it takes no effort to be a good person, but it takes a lot of effort to be a bad person. And he goes, that's the only thing I'm ever going to teach you in life. It takes no effort to be a good human being, but it takes a lot of effort to be a bad person. So you sit there and go, 
It's, it's true because to be a bad person, you got to try to be a bad person. To be a good person, no effort. I mean, you just, it's, it's there in you. So I, you know, when somebody comes over and, you know, wants me to sign something, I'm like, I'll run over there and like my director, you know, stage director is going, you know, we're on in 10 seconds. Like, hey, I got nine seconds more. I'm cool. <laughs> run back in there. I mean, part of it is, is being relaxed. And this, you know, I, one thing I did, you know, finally realize, hey, and just watching other people's, you know, whether they're pregame, postgame for other sports, people like announcers that have a good time. I mean, you can spew out all the numbers and it's fine. And I'll do that. But when you generally have a good time, I think of us all having a conversation, having a bite to eat and having a cold one every game I do. That's my, that's my, that's, that's the guy to go back to Scott Ackerman. He goes, think of everyone sitting there at your house, watching your game, watching a game, having a bite the air and having a cold one. And that's how you do a game. It's a conversation, having fun. Because when you break down all the numbers and all the, all the crazy stuff, you can lose people. And I, I mean, myself included, when I'm watching a game, I want to be, I want to laugh. I want to, I want to have this like, man, like what's going to happen? All these things. I want to have a good time every day. Cause if you're going to, you're going to invest three, three and a half hours in a game, I want you to have something to remember that game by whether if we lost 10 to nothing, something was probably happening in the course of the game was pretty cool. Something happened. Not everything. Obviously when you lose 10, nothing, but something was cool that I'm not going to be miserable about it because you know what? It's a game. There's more difficult things obviously in life. So sports are the thing for me. It's, it's, a, it's a way for us all to have a good time. Okay. And uh, I, I have one more question, uh, unless you want to go first, Fernando, or? Yeah, I'll let you ask yours, and I'll ask mine after. Okay. Uh, checklist for you, not players specifically, but if you're Perry Manassian right now, what's what's your your top three moves here in the offseason? Like, what, what positions you go for first? And last question to go along with that, can we get you at some point this year to wear a mullet for like a Gooby Tuesday, just for the broadcast. Can we see you in a mullet? Yeah. I, I think I think Angel fans need to see that. Dude, I I don't know if you saw like one of my Twitter things. I went out and dressed up for Halloween as uh, almost like a Brett Michaels like look to me this time. Oh, okay. Might have to check that one out. Yeah, I you know what? Yeah, yeah. no, no. That we did that one too. That was Hall and Oaks we did, but this one uh, was a little bit more hard rock. My wife was. Uh, Joan Jett and I was like basically a, a rock and roller, like a uh, an '80s hairband type guy. So there yeah, I'll do that one for sure. Uh, yeah, you know what? I always have a blast doing that. So what was the first part? I'm lost in my mind. Oh, when I <laughs> no, because I just remember all your baseball cards. I have uh, you always have the mullet going, man. Like the business in the front, oh, party yeah. in the back, man. Yeah. You know it's crazy though. We never called it mullet. I just. You know, it was one of those things where uh, John Crook and I, we still text back and forth. He goes, because he had that hair going too. And yeah, yeah. Johnson and stuff. Like, we, we, we never set out to have that look going on. You see a lot of the guys now with the long hair going. So, I mean, that, which is pretty cool to see that with Packy Norton and all those guys. He, he would always say, dude, you got to grow the hair back, man. I said, no, no, man. I take it there were now anymore. But back in the day, it was like that too. It was a good look. Oh, just a question. If you were Perry Manassian, your, oh, your checklist, yeah. I was, I was trying to get out of that, but that's why. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, but I, you know, pitching, starting pitching has to be, I, I'm, I'm not only going one, I'm saying two. Okay. Starting pitcher, impact starting pitchers. Uh, I did like what I saw the, towards the end of the season with the bullpen. I still think there's some arms needed down there. I think you can do that 
a little easier because bullpen guys are, are, are such a different breed because they could be unbelievable one year and the next year. It's almost like a field goal kicker in the NFL. There's times where you miss one field goal, then all of a sudden you just never get in a good role. So that way I think you could put together some good arms, maybe guys that have been let go by other teams or, or just bringing in somebody or yet there's some guys in the minor leagues. I mean, I, I love Chris Rodriguez. I was so bummed to hear that he's not going to be available at least for most of the season. I loved him, but uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't shy away from one of the shortstops either, by the way. It's oh, a, okay. I, know, right. I know everyone's going to get pitching, pitching, pitching. And I think that's the thing they're going to do first and foremost. Uh, I don't, I'm not so sure if Kurt Suzuki's coming back. I love being around him. He's a great, it was great to see him come home. You know, went to Cal State Fullerton, lives in, in right there in Fullerton area. So it was great to see him do that. If he's back, fine. If not, you have to think about who could help out with Max Stassi behind the plate. But uh, pitching, I, I'm, I'm totally fine with the outfield. I'm totally fine with, you know, Brandon Marsh. I love what he did. Trouty, Joe Adele, and Justin Upton in that, in that mix. So I think you're fine there. Uh, Fletch, I still don't understand how he didn't win a gold glove, but don't get yeah. me started on that one. I'm still, I'm still chapped about that. <laughs> And uh, Walshy, he's phenomenal. Rendon, he's going to come back. And he's an gr- unbelievably good player. I mean, ha- we haven't seen that yet in an Angel uniform the year before, obviously, with the pandemic, only 60 games. He got hot there in the end. Just knowing him and seeing him in spring training that year, uh, and when he first came around, the dude is legit. Dude's legit. I mean, he's just going to be healthy, I think. But uh, starting pitching has to be done. It has to be done. And then, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of names right out there now, and, and I'm kind of excited about it. Robbie Ray, guys like that. Uh, you're always gonna, there's always some kind of connection with Max Scherz. I know he had a great job with the Dodgers, uh, but he was the guy that the Angels were looking at before he went over to the Dodgers. Uh, there's some names out there. Justin Verlander, he's, he's got a house in SoCal. You just don't know I mean, who's gonna, they're gonna do something. They're gonna do something. Rodriguez from the, you know, the Red Sox and rent, I mean, Rodon, I don't, you know, you just want to make sure what you do going forward is you got to make sure when you bring in guys, you want them healthy. You need to have that window open of Trout, Rendon and Otani doing what they're doing for the next two, three, four years. And if you, if you supplement around with some good arms around them. Yeah. They, I mean, it's, it's, it's got a chance to be in special. I know people go, what do you think? Can this team compete? I, there's there's a couple words I can't stand going into spring training. I, the, they always say, oh, I want our club to be competitive. I hated that. My mind is, if I'm not in the playoffs, then I then it's it's a lost season. I don't want to be competitive. I want to be a playoff team, and that's what the that's what Joe told me recently, Madden, uh, and that's the feeling everyone around. No more. Hey, we want to be competitive. We want to. They want to be in the playoffs, and that's that's the bottom line. So maybe I should have gone for Todd because my question was going to be, um, so let's assume you're Paramanazian or let's just assume heck you're the general manager. What is your sales pitch to any free agent who's interested in coming to Anaheim? Well, the, the thing is that I, I saw this recently too. Perry said this best and I would say it all the time. Uh, Southern California weather, man. <laughs> Every, I mean, you're, you're to have no rain delays. Believe me, as a, as a player and a, and a broadcaster, when you go into certain cities during the summer, you're going to have rain delays, rain outs, blah, blah, blah. California, Southern California, the weather's perfect. The fans are unbelievably good. They come in droves, $3 billion plus on a normal year. Uh, you you're get a chance to play with Mike Trout. That's all I would say. 
I, I think Trouty should almost be like a LeBron James of the Lakers and say, listen, if you want, I need you on my team. And now you have Shohei Otani to be able to do the same thing. You have two of the most incredibly marketable and insane players on the same team. If I'm Perry Manassi, I go, hey, uh, Mike Trout's on the line here. And here's Shohei Otani. We're on Zoom or uh, FaceTime. Hey, uh, such and such, you want to play here? And Trouty and Shohei go, we need you. Boom. Done deal. And if those guys were, if I was a player and they, and they were on there saying, hey, hey, Mark, I want you to join our team. I'm like, uh, wait a minute. If I can, if you could fax me there, I know there's no more faxing anymore. But if you could fax me over there, I'll be right there now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. My kids say that to me all the time. I said, every, I still have a fax machine that doesn't, I don't even know if it works anymore. But, but if there's a way to fax me over there to play for the Angels, I'm there at this moment. So the weather, you know, the fans, how many they come out in droves. Uh, you have a great owner that's willing to spend any money you want in Artie. Moreno and you have Trout Otani. Boom. And you have a guy that has no pulse and Anthony Rendon. He's, he's the most calm, chill dude I've ever been around. Uh, and then you have some young, talented outfielders in Brandon Marsh to bring that energy. You need that energy. Veteran teams are great, but you need those, those guys. I mean, you look at Eddie Rosario, what he did for the Braves, the energy he brought to those guys. I mean, granted, he wasn't a young kid, he was still fairly young, but I mean, this you need energy guys. Cole Calhoun was that guy when he was with the Angels. I mean, I loved him doing the things he was doing. So you need energy guys, and Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh bring that. So they're going to bring everyone. Trotty, Trotty really never got a chance to play with all those guys, especially at the level they were playing with now. Yeah. now Trotty played with Joe Adele last year. That was a learning process. He's going to get a chance to play with those guys now that they've actually figured out how to be good. And it's going to be a lot of fun to see that. Fletch is going to be better. Fletch wore down last year because bottom line is he was, he was like one of the only guys between him and Otani and Walshie and they're swinging the bat. Bottom line. I mean, Phil Gosselin did great and Stas did great and Mayfield, they all did really, really good. But they're guys that are going to play you two, three days a week and really help you out that way instead of having to play seven days a week. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm always going to be optimistic. You guys know that from my broadcast. I'm always going to be a half full. Because I, I choose to live my life that way. Uh, there's something I keep, there's something I'm feeling right now. Even I'm on social media reading every day. I'm feeling something pretty cool about what's going to happen. You know, this winter, we, hopefully we get the CBA going. That's going to be the first, the first, first thing we got to take care of. But I think that'll get done. But uh, I think there's going to be some magical stuff. Like I said, this division is turning into a division now where every all five teams think they can win now. And uh, for me, a division that has the two best players in the world on the same team deserves to be in the postseason because you never know what they're going to do. I mean, Trotty has only had that one series against Kansas City. That was it. That's yeah. it. So you imagine how Shohei Otani, the way he pitched there in the last month, two months, of the, well, really after the All-Star break. And still, I mean, then he'll have people around him. He's, he's such a competitive team-oriented guy he was trying to win every game, swinging the bat. It's hard to do that because no, if I'm a pitching against him, I'm never giving anything close to the plate. Yeah. So he did an amazing thing. But you can imagine how good it's going to be to have guys around him now. Yeah, that are actually healthy. Because I mean, geez, I, I think that was his biggest issue this year. But imagine the numbers he could have put up 
And my thing, me and Fernando have been talking a lot, too. If they get to the postseason, you saw the media coverage that Otani got in the All-Star game. Imagine them in the postseason. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, and both of them, you know, if you look at Trotty, what he did in a bunch of All-Star games, I mean, he's won a couple MVPs in the All-Star game. I mean, Grant's a different thing, but it's still – Trust me, the All-Star Games as a player, there's a huge stress on you because nobody really remembers when you do something pretty good. It's when you do something bad, they remember. So there's a lot of pressure on those things. And, and Trotty was always phenomenal in that because I can imagine, and I think Shohei, if you look at how, you know, when he first made it to the major leagues and where was with the Angels in 18, how bad he was in spring training. But as soon as those bright lights came on, he wins a rookie of the year. And this year he's going to win the MVP. So those guys in Rendon, we know how good he is. Just ask Kershaw there in that playoff game when he hit that home run and got. That. So uh, there's he's he's phenomenal. There, there's, I think, you know what? I, but I'm not going to be. This is the first year I'm going to go. Hey, I'm, I'm happy with what we got on on the mound right now. No, no, there has to be some stuff done. There has to be some impact arms put in there with the guys they have coming. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot to be optimistic about. So I think. Perry Manassian, I've known Perry since he was a kid because he was a bat boy for the Rangers organization when I was down there and played there. And I knew his dad very well. He was a visiting clubhouse attendant for a number of years before the home side. Uh, he's got it in him to win. I mean, he's been part of a winning team. Obviously, he's got some still connection, feel good about what they what he saw with his friends down there in Atlanta. And he put together a pretty darn good team up there in Toronto too. So it's there. He knows scouting. He knows analytics. So now you put that all together and, and make the right moves. He's drafted all those pitchers. Yeah. Everyone goes, man, I'll pitch you. But I, I saw something today. Kansas City, in, from the 2018 draft, five pitchers from that draft pitched, started games for him this year. Five. So wow. five pitchers from that draft. So the Angels drafted, what, 20, 22 pitchers this year. And you know what? You never know. They may, may, may have the same success. That's only a couple years for all those Royals pitchers up there in the major leagues from – that's a pretty amazing five guys who started games for you from the 2018 draft for the Royals because they felt the same way. The only way to be successful is a draft pitching because you can always trade them or you can have them in the big leagues. So that's your best way. That's your biggest chip come trade deadline because nobody's always looking for necessarily position players to get to that next level. You need arms. And that's what they, that's what the angels did this off season. I mean, during the draft, that's what you see in a couple of the guys they already signed as far as free agents, minor league free agents and stuff. So I, there's some really positive things going forward, but I really anticipate, I think it's going to get pretty crazy quick. I wouldn't be surprised if some big splashes are made within a week or so, to be honest with you. I think it could. And one thing I'll say um, to piggyback up what you said before we start closing here is that um, for the first time in a long time, we're really starting to see a lot of homegrown guys and that's how cultures are built. You know, this isn't the baseball that, you know, I grew up watching where, you know, the Yankees, the evil empire, you know, they're buying all this talent. Now, a lot of these successful teams, like you said, we've had a lot of different champions over the last 15 years. A lot of those teams were homegrown teams. You know, we have the Marshes, we have the Adels, you know, Walsh, Fletcher, you know, in the rotation, the bullpen, you know, a lot of these guys were born here, built here. You know what I mean? So they not, they take pride in being angels because, hey, you know, I'm not a guy who signed as a free agent. I was, uh, you know, I, was, I grew up in the system. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think that stuff makes a difference. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, can, you can teach that culture from rookie ball to A ball, double A, triple A, 
Uh, Mike Sosha was really good at that. I mean, if you looked at minor league guys that came up to the major leagues during his success, very successful stretch he was at, at the helm of the Angels, they all played the Angels' way. They were all going first to third. They were all capable of stealing a base. They were all capable of getting four or five, six outs out of the bullpen. All those things where they played the game was taught to them at that level in the minor leagues. And I know Perry's, uh, my conversations with him, Benassian, that's the player development he wants again for this organization where that culture is being brought and taught all the way from the very first day you come into the minor leagues to up to AAA to major league level. And if you do that, it's an easier transition than you go, you know, you, you're, you're constantly bringing people from different organizations where they have their own philosophy. So there's a learning process that could cost you four or five games. Well, those four or five games could be a difference between making the postseason or not. So uh, you, you look at, you know, teams, you look at even the Braves, they don't even, they might not make the playoffs if they didn't have the right people there, you know, Freddie Freeman's to supplement all these other, you know, Albies great player too, uh, but they came from the systems. But then you bring in guys like Jock Peterson, you know, and, and you, all those guys are good add-ons because they learn and watch the guys that came through the system that the, play the Braves way. So that's why they, you know, I, I'm still – Everyone's shocked that they won. I, you know, I'm surprised they did too. But the way they were playing, I was not surprised. They were able to beat, you know, the two best teams in the playoffs. They beat the Dodgers and they beat the, the Astros. The two best teams I felt in the game, they beat them both, and which is not easy to do. And the Brewers with that great rotation. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, I was actually coming into to postseason. I was picking the Brewers really, and I and I had the Astros. I did feel the Astros were pretty strong. The colors going down hurt them a little bit, but I love the, the Brewers rotation, but they just, they couldn't score any runs. I mean, yeah. it was surprising that none of those guys could get hot enough to supplement that great arms in their bullpen. But you know what? You still got to play the game. When you get on a roll, like a team like the Braves did, they had to win a bunch of games towards the end just to get to the postseason. Mm-hmm. That uh, you, when you have momentum, I'm telling you, man, it's, the one thing, I mean, I go back to 14 when the angels were the best team in the baseball, they had a great record. They were playing the Royals. They, they could have won the first two games at home. They had guys in scoring position late in the game, and they weren't able to get them in, which is surprising. But the Royals had momentum, you know, and that's the thing. They had that great comeback, you know, against the A's in, in the wild card game. So, and the, and the Angels had it so easy that year. They were up by a bunch of games. So they were kind of cruising in to the postseason. Sometimes when, you, when you're being pushed, that's a huge thing going into the postseason. Absolutely. Uh, any final comments, uh, Fernando? No, no, Gooby. Thank you so much for the time. This was a lot of fun. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks, Todd. Appreciate it, guys. Oh yeah, thank you so I much. Probably kept you on here too long, didn't I? I'm always talking too much. My wife says that all the time. Do you ever stop talking? I go maybe when I'm sleeping, but then again, I I might even be talking when I'm sleeping. <laughs> yeah. No, and trust me, it's no inconvenience to us, man. This is awesome. Like you said. Um, it is one thing that I truly love that we started this podcast is not only have I always been an Angels fan, but now I have an opportunity to be a fan of a lot of the men in the organization and around the organization because now I'm not a fan of just Gooby the commentator. I'm now a fan of Gooby the person because, you know, now we've got to have this conversation and we've had so many awesome interviews and it's just, it really is awesome to get to know some of these people, their organization on a personal standpoint. Yeah, they, I mean, I, I have to really say this, and I'm not just saying it because I'm, you know, I work with the Angels. Obviously, I'm 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 an employee for Bally Sports West, but 
the Ains organization has been incredible. And I'm just, just hanging out yesterday in that golf tournament for, you know, Dennis Cole and John Carpino to be at that tournament yesterday for giving kids an opportunity that, you know, it's not easy to be able to get the money and the resources to play baseball. I mean, I grew up in that same type of environment back in Philly. So, you know, to give an opportunity for kids that might not have that normal opportunity to play this great game is great. And for them to give their time to go out there, there's some great people and really, really great people. And, you know, Mike Sosha was there and, and Ron Renicky. So these guys that were connected with the Angels were still around. The thing. So it's a, like I said, it's a family, uh, you know, and every one of us to this, every single person, the same thing we keep saying is, man, we got, they, we got to find a way to get this team to win because these fans have been there in droves. Yeah. You know, before, you know, obviously the last two years with all the games missed and, and fans not able to go three million plus every game and always very, very supportive. But you want to you want them to get to that next level and enjoy it even more so. It's a great going to the game. You, it's great to see a generational player in, in Mike Trout or a phenom and, and Shohei Otani. But you want to see them guys, you know, jumping on top of each other, winning a World Series. You know, Absolutely. individual moments are great. Uh, you know, but winning a World Series, you know, is like going back to being part of that thing. I'm still in shock that I was able to be part of a World Series championship club and. Running on the field, I still I told the story just I was back in Kansas City a couple weeks ago, running out of the field on game seven, and some fan took my hat right off my head. And I was like laughing. I'm thinking, I never heard what the fan ever did with that hat. I don't even know what they did. They might have threw it away right away. But somewhere, my half from that, that World Series team, we didn't get it. We, you know, the guys today, they get a million hats during the course of the season. We were given one hat, boom, that same hat. I, I'm telling you, that probably didn't smell real good because that was. <laughs> <laughs> Those hot summer days. Whoever, had, whoever took my hat, I don't know if they threw it away. Like I said, but somewhere, some place, somewhere out there in Kansas City or so, they have my half in that World Series team. That's awesome. Hey, but again, thank you so much, Mark, for uh, donating your time here to the podcast. And we just want to give a special thanks too to Rally Chris that got you to uh, come on here for us. So we really appreciate his effort, him talking with you and everything. Because again, you're so personable. You know, that's what we love about you and, and a lot of the angels uh, p- people in the organization and players like they're, they're it's not like most teams. Cause I've been on the uh, East coast and in the central and, and, you know, getting to, to know some of the players on the field or, or things like that, you just can't do it. It just seems like some uh, in the or- angels organization, like you talked about, they're more hands-on, they're more uh, uh, like just relatable, you know, and able, it, it, there's no standoffish type thing. And we, we kind of really appreciate your efforts and, and, uh, with the broadcast and, and being here with us today. I appreciate it. Yeah. Rally Chris, man. He's a good dude, man. It's crazy. Good dude. I really yeah. appreciate you. By the way, I think part of the reason Mike Trout is so personal with fans signing, he's literally signing an autograph in the on deck circle before he's facing, you know, Justin Verlander throwing hundred miles an hour. He's, he has time for everybody. So I think that helps sending the message to what, how important the fans are and how important, you know, he told me flat out last year was the hardest thing he ever did was playing because there was no one there for whether he's cheering for him or if you're on the road, booing him, you know, those kind of things. Fans are, I think, I forget who, even Joe Buck might've said it the other day, how important fans are. And I'm a fan. I just, I always say I'm a fan. I just got lucky to play the game. I'll always be a fan because I, I watch every sporting event there is possible. I enjoy rooting for a team. I enjoy booing the other team. Still, there you I, I enjoy hating on teams. But you're I, a Philly I, fan, so that comes natural. <laughs> oh, yeah. I enjoy hating on the Cowboys and everybody else, the Boston Celtics and all those teams like that. So, 
But uh, yeah, I really appreciate you guys having me on, man. It's been a good time. Oh, really appreciate it. Uh, so uh, anything you want to uh, plug or give a shout out to before we get out of here? No, man, this, this, like I said, I'm having, you know, just having a blessed time just talking to you guys. And uh, by the way, I've already started all my holidays. Uh, holiday decorations up, man. I already got my my lights up, man. Don't tell oh, anybody. Dude, my house already looks like Santa's workshop. My fiance decorated like a week and a half ago. So <laughs> I know somebody's gonna give me grief because you know I I've, I got them up and I got a lot of my stuff out. It's it's a process for me, but I mean because I was I loved Halloween too. I had a pretty good little uh, scary little entranceway coming to my house giving out candy. So it's already flipped over to Christmas time. I feel bad. I I have my Thanksgiving decorations, a few things here and there, but I'm already. Uh, getting Christmas out. But so people will give me some grief about that, but you know what? I'm so cool. I love yeah. our, you're a big Christmas guy, right? Yeah, I love guy. our halfway to Christmas thing we have in, in uh, the Angel Stadium. So I'm looking forward. We didn't get to do that last year. So I'm hoping they're uh, they bring that one back this upcoming season. So we know the Gubazov family picture is going to have a turkey front row for the Thanksgiving picture and a Christmas tree in the background. <laughs> Believe me, that'll, that'll definitely be up for that one. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we're, that's going to be going up pretty soon. All my other stuff is, you know, like my kids are like crazy like me about this too, which I learned it all from my mom. My mom was nuts about it. So my brothers are the same way. They're the same thing. I, I sent a picture. I said, dudes, I'm already uh, decorating. They go, yeah, we are too. We just, it's something in our <laughs> DNA. We just, we're willing to take that grief from people saying, it's not even Thanksgiving yet. I go, I know. That's cool. Because <laughs> cool. right? I'm, I'm not passing Thanksgiving by because I love turkey. Yeah, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of great Thanksgiving movies either. There's a lot of good Christmas movies, so I'm already already. Uh, I'm already, believe it or not, guys. Between me and you, I won't tell anybody. I'm already on that Hallmark Channel watching all the Christmas shows already, man. That's, <laughs> there you go. That's cool. Hey, I'm crushing myself on that one. Where Where do you rank the Christmas story in your top uh, Christmas movies? Oh, you know what? You know, remember I dressed up as Ralphie a couple oh. years ago. I had my my uh, rabbit suit on for that one, but uh, I remember. Uh, it, it's one of the, and I actually visited the house in Cleveland, uh, say ten years ago, and the lamp there in the window. I mean, it's trippy, man, to do it to go see it. Yeah, if you go to Cleveland, you got to go see it. I, I like it. I might like it. My my brother in law is a gigantic fan of it. I mean, I, I'm, you know, Christmas vacations. You know, I, I love that. Any any version of the Grinch, it's a Wonderful Life. But I, I still, I have a big. Big hole in my heart every time White Christmas comes on with Bing Crosby. Oh, okay. I still think Bing Crosby and and, and uh, David Bowie singing "Little Drummer Boy" is the all time great, all time great. Okay, all right. But I can keep going on. Yes. Oh, yes. I mean, his with Rudolph the Red. Yes. Yes. I mean, uh, you know, believe it or not, I got like uh, my Pandora music. I already got my Bing Crosby holiday stuff going too. Now I'm waiting for Coast 103.5 to get it rocking. Oh, yeah, that's what they do. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Gooby. You, you gave us so much time and so much knowledge. We really appreciate it. You got it, guys. I appreciate it, man. Have a great holiday. You too. Thank you. You too, and Gooby. Thank you. you. I'm, I'm sure we're going to hear some pretty good stuff with the Angels pretty soon. I just, this is my feeling. This is my feeling. Awesome. We're going we're gonna to keep that clip. We'll play it once they make a big splash. <laughs> yeah, Frank. Follow Gooby on Twitter. That way, if he does it, you know who to go for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mark. Have I'll a good one. I'll go with my Tony Romo. I'm going first guessing. I'm going to say they're going to do some stuff. Yeah. All right. There All you right. go. The hot takes. <laughs> All right, Mark. Take care. All right. Have a good one.
Viva Los Angelitos! How's it going, guys? This is Fernando with Halos in the Infield. Are you sad that this podcast is almost over? Well, don't worry. Halos in the Infield is taking over the social media universe. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Twitch, Reddit. If it exists, chances are we're probably on it. Make sure to tune into our pregame shows with James and our postgame shows with Todd Fox. Make sure to listen to our podcasts all season long and all off season long. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at Halos in the Infield and the Hitty Baseball Network also on YouTube. So many exciting things to come. We are so glad you guys are along for the ride. And hell, while you're at it, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you guys so much. Viva Los Angelitos y prendalo!